And thank you, GA and Will and Daryl, all the people. We definitely are blessed here with an extraordinary team of people, for those of you that haven't met. Like, actually, we have John on PowerPoint today. Give it up for John. <laughs> definitely blessed. I'm actually going to do really quickly kind of a recap from last week um, in like five seconds or less and then move on to this week because actually last week we had, we started with basically the topic of Jesus um, and what we did is we actually didn't delve into the life of Jesus or the characteristics of Jesus. What we did is we looked at number one, the understanding of the Trinity and to understand that if you're going to talk about Jesus being incarnate, you have to understand that he always was, always existed, that there was the pre-existence of Jesus, actually what gives the authority and the understanding of the incarnate Jesus. And then basically what we did is we went through, I mean, there's like 400 passages of scripture, but we just touched upon like maybe 30 in the Old Testament of prophecies of Jesus. And the extraordinary fulfillment and the detail of his life and what he fulfilled and what's laid out in the New Testament. So looking at the Old Testament contrasted with the New Testament, which in a profound way, it strikes your heart just to see that it, like you can read through the Old Testament, I think sometimes and even miss as far as that it's all leading up to the anticipation of the Messiah one day coming. And that every detail of his life was actually prophesied and it was fulfilled when he came. Um, but what we actually took a few minutes to look at also is the importance of and even why we study the life of Jesus. And two important passages of scripture in the New Testament I just want us to highlight before we move on. Um, number one, in Matthew 16, 13 through 18, many of you may be familiar with when the disciples basically are talking with Jesus and Jesus says to them, who do you say that I am? And the conversation actually prior to that was actually some say you're Elisha, some say you're John the Baptist. You know, it was kind of the contrast of some say you're Jeremiah. And even when you look at that, if you think about it, it was some say you're Elisha, who was a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a holiness preacher. Like the characteristics of what was displayed. But then when he looked at Peter and he said, who do you say that I am? And this is where Peter answers and he says, you are the Christ. Son of the living God. And Jesus then responds to Peter and he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. He's acknowledging you have had a revelation of Jesus. That's extraordinary. Peter had a revelation. You are the Christ, son of the living God. And then basically Jesus goes on to say that it's upon this rock. So he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. And then he goes on to say, it is upon this rock that I will build my church. And what he's saying is it's the rock of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, and the gates of hell sh shall not prevail against it. And it's the understanding that when the church has a revelation of Jesus Christ, that that is the triumphant church, that that is the church that will prevail, that without a revelation of Jesus Christ, we are failing, we are dying and we are ceasing and we cannot stand. So the prerequisite for being the triumphant church, I mean, that's in a corporate sense, the church of Massachusetts, but that's you as an individual, as the, the temple, the body of Jesus Christ. You are the church. The prerequisite is that you have a revelation of Jesus Christ. And most of us in this place, and I think most vastly the body of Christ, our revelation of Jesus Christ goes so far as he's the savior. He saved me from my sin. It's kind of like our passport has been stamped. We're getting to heaven. That is my revelation. He is the savior. 
He died on the cross for my sin. Where the understanding of Jesus Christ is so much greater, so much vaster, so much deeper, so much more in depth than just understanding, yes, he did save you from your sin, but you are just scratching the surface. That is just the beginning of the beginning of the beginning because he saved you for your sin for a purpose. He saved you from your sin so you can live a life in fellowship with him. He didn't just save you so you could be erased from guilt. He didn't just save you so you can be, your conscience can be clean. He did that unto an end so that you could have fellowship with him. So if we then don't enter into the purpose by which he's cleansed us, we're actually missing the entire point. We're missing the entirety of the gospel. That understanding that Jesus Christ, that he is eternal life. And that understanding of eternal life is not just in eternity, meaning that you get to live forever in all of your days. That understanding of of eternity is actually the quality of your life. That it's not just the length of your days, it's the quality of it. It's the vastness of it that you live without limit. That is extraordinary, and that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And one other thing that we're just, uh, just as a prerequisite kind of before we move on is in Matthew 24, 1 through 5. Another time, basically, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Now he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? So he's speaking of the end times, the end of the age. And he says, and of the end of the age. And Jesus answers and says to them, this is Jesus' reply. They're asking, what will be the sign of your coming? How will we know when you're, you're going to appear? Jesus could have said anything. He could have mentioned, like, the Antichrist. You know, he could, have, he could have done any of those things. And instead he says, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And will deceive many. He actually, he actually says that, that many will come in my name. He's not even speaking of kind of the premier antichrist figure. He's speaking of many false Christs, many false saviors. And, then he, and he says, and will deceive many. So basically what he is saying is that the issue is going to be over the issue of who is Jesus Christ. That is the supreme issue. That is the supreme question. If we ask no other question, if we grapple for no other reality in this life, it's the question of who is Jesus? And it's not even necessarily a question of do you like Jesus? Do you not like Jesus? I think everybody in the room would say we like Jesus. (laughs) But then it's the question of what are our thoughts about Jesus? What do we think about Jesus? A.W. Tozer, um, we had a couple of quotes last week, but... To kind of summarize pretty much everything we covered, A.W. Tozer says, What do you think of Christ? And what are you going to do with Christ? Every question we might ever have can be boiled down to the subject of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you think about this and you really begin to grapple with it, it absolutely changes everything. But if you think about it this way, that most of us, you know, we bear the name Christian. For those of you that don't know, the first time in the book of Acts is actually when the word Christian was originated. And and then in the book of Acts, actually two times it's referenced. And and many of you are actually familiar when we went through the book of Acts as far as the ungodly king saying, you're actually making me want to take the name of, of a Christian. Like you're actually wanting me to, I'm wanting to become a Christian because of you. And so this word Christian actually originated, which the word Christian in simplest form is Christ follower. 
a follower of Christ. So most of us bear the name of being a Christian. And if you think about in, in our mass society, we consider ourselves a Christian nation, a Christ-following nation. But when you think about it in its simplest form, to be a Christ follower literally means that you're seeking after, you're pursuing. And if you think about it, if you're following somebody, like let's just say if you follow um, an athlete or if you follow an actor or a singer or any of those things, there's, there's a respect of actually following their life and kind of keeping up on events and knowing what's taking place. So there's some actors, like whatever movie that they are, they're in, you want to see that because you like that actor. I mean, that's the essence of following something. And for most of us, I mean, I know I can sit back, and I'm sure everybody in the room, if we had an honest moment with ourselves, there's things in life that we follow. There's certain people that tweet, and we follow their Twitter thing, and we follow what they have to say. We think it's important. There's certain sports that we follow. We religiously follow them. There's some of us actually have television programs. Like, if we don't see it that week and we miss the, that point in the series, I guess we all have DVR now, so I guess you can catch up on it later. I guess that happens. But there's a, there's a, a sense of you are following the storyline, and you have some kind of allegiance to seeing it to the end and knowing it and being educated about it. For some of us, we follow fashion. There's an element of we want to know what's in style. We'll go out of our way to then purchase it and make sure we're looking at a certain appearance and all of those things. All of us have something it may not be visible, it may not be something you even dialogue about it, but it's almost like an inward obsession. You know, that, that place of it's something that intrigues you. I've actually recently, someone's been informing me about gaming. I've never been informed about gaming before. <laughs> now I am informed. I, there's gamers. There's people that play games. Like, they're into it. They follow it. They know it's... And I guess, I don't even know. I won't... I, was, I said Nintendo when the person was talking to me. I won't even venture to say I don't know what the games are. But gaming is something, I guess, in our generation. So I am just becoming privy to it. <laughs> but you think about music. I mean, all of these things. For some of us, it's food. Like, we, we definitely have an obsession with food and with restaurants or entertainment. Or some of us, it's people. We have people that we have an obsession with knowing the facts and the details of their life and keeping up with them. We talk with them daily for hours. But in all honesty, anything that we're following, and let's just, I'll bring it, break it down to real, like, practical terms. Most of you know, if you ask me about my son, I could talk endlessly about my kid. I could just talk endlessly about everything he's learning, everything he does, how fascinating he is, how loving he is. I mean... Endless stories will just come out of me. And most of you, friends in the room, <laughs> Anna, I bore her to death constantly. Anytime she asks me about my son, I can tell she's like, oh my gosh, no, she's going to start again. <laughs> it just goes. Like, it doesn't end. <laughs> and it's true, because I absolutely adore my son. And I know a lot about him. I know a lot about him. I think he's fascinating. All of those things. But the extraordinary thing is that anything that we love and we have a devotion to, we probably, if I ask you about it, you probably, if it's your topic, like if it's your thing, some of you it's science, it's math, it's politics, you know, you're privy. But the challenging thing would be is if we actually then said, so you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That means daily, you, you are in a pursuit of knowing who he is. You have an obsession with knowing his character, his nature. Could you come stand up here and share us? Share with us Jesus Christ. We want to hear. Most people would be like, okay, beyond Savior. Um, <clears throat> okay, he was born in Bethlehem. 
Died on the cross. And really what we are is we're distant observers. You know, it's kind of like we read the history book. We read the story about Joan of Arc. I know where Joan of Arc lived. I know what she did. I know what war she fought. I know what country she... You know, I got the facts. I got it down. I got, I got Joan of Arc. But that doesn't really make me a follower of Joan of Arc. It makes me really a distant observer of who she was. And I can tell the story of her life. But it doesn't actually mean that I have a loving affection toward her that has drawn me into a lifelong pursuit. Which is really what Christianity is. That is what Christianity is. And you know what it is? It's not so much, you know, I, we're a house of prayer. <clears throat> Obviously, we definitely talk a lot about prayer and the study of the word. But really, when it comes down to Christianity, it's not so much the get your hour in a day. Do it. Like, if you do it, if you really just grit your teeth and discipline yourself to do it enough, it's going to change your life. Yes, it's true. <laughs> discipline is extraordinary. And when you embrace it, there's extraordinary fruit. But really what Christianity comes more about is having the place that at, the more we understand about Jesus, the more we're going to love him. So if you find yourself almost in a position of saying, I definitely have a dull heart. Like I can't say I am lovesick for Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty strong term, but that's actually the term that Jesus used. That was the term that Jesus said that when the bridegroom is taken away from you, then you will fast because you long for his coming. That we're lovesick for Jesus. And see, it's not a condemnation to us. If we sit there and we identify, okay, I'm not lovesick for Jesus. I definitely, as far as and when you really think about a Christian, a follower, a pursuer of Christ, that maybe that's not the living reality of our day-to-day life. If that's not a condemnation against us. What that is, is it's an indication that our love has grown cold. And what it's an indication of is if we'll grow in understanding of him, we will grow in love for him. The more you see of Jesus, the more you grow in understanding and revelation of who he is, the more your heart will fall in love with who he is. But an indication that if you feel as though you definitely don't have vibrant love for Jesus... All that is is an indication is you don't have understanding. You haven't rightly seen him. Or maybe you did six months ago or a year ago. You just really haven't taken the time to look at him closely recently. Mm-hmm. So it's the place of taking time to look upon him. And the beautiful thing when we want to talk about looking at Jesus and understanding Jesus is we have an entire book. I mean, it's not just like one of the chapters. It's not just even one of the books. It's Old Testament reveals Jesus. Jesus is all throughout Old Testament, the prophecy of his coming and who he would be. Then New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's Jesus' life. You get it from birth to death. You have a nice snapshot and an understanding of who he is. But if we don't actually just read it almost like as a storyline of getting through it, okay, he's born about them, then I'm going to go through that. If we sit and we actually meditate upon his words, Just take one passage of scripture that Jesus, the red letters that Jesus said, and meditate upon it. And and that is actually why we advocate in the house of prayer, singing and praying scripture. Because the place, beyond just, I read it in my morning Devo. But now I'm actually going to read it. I'm going to pray it. I'm going to meditate upon this. I can honestly tell you, 
And all, I started praying. Like, when I say praying, I mean, like, fasting, praying, locking my room in for hours, probably when I was, like, 15. And I can honestly say there's passages of Scripture, even today, that I think, oh, I know this one, you know, and I, and I can remember. When I was 21, I remember the Lord spoke to me this out of it. And I can remember the time I was preparing for this conference to preach, and the Lord revealed this to me out of this. And I'm thinking, I have unpacked this thing, and it's extraordinary what's there. And I think, like, I, I have got a good grasp on this one. And I will sit and begin to, and to be honest, in some ways I'm kind of like, you know, it's familiar, it's a little old, but we'll go back there again. You know, and I start with it. And to be honest, by the end of the hour, you know, whether it's here or in my, my prayer room at home, at the end of the hour, I am awestruck with there is a dimension of Christ or something in that passage of scripture I have never seen. It's the mystery of Christ. That's what Paul said. He said that he, basically that he had been called to preach the mysteries of Christ. That he's a mystery. That you could read from cover to cover. You could pray day after day and never exhaust the mystery of Jesus Christ. And see, that's the place of actually being in a place of wonder and awe that we're in pursuit of him. We're going to look at a couple of passages of scripture, uh, Philippians 3, 8 through 10. Most of you are f very familiar with this passage of scripture. But there's a few passages of scripture that just speak of this place of kind of searching out and understanding. Philippians 3, 8 through 10. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, verse 10, that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. This is Paul laying it out there for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I count all things as loss. All things pale in comparison to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I mean, let, if we just got a hold of this reality right here, that everything else in our life, every relationship, every um, perception that people have of us, every place of status, everything that we could attain to, it is all loss for the excellency of Jesus Christ, that he is supreme, that he has the preeminence over all. In John 17, 3, this is eternal life that we might know you, that we might know him, that we actually have that available to know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Ephesians 3, 8, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach amongst the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 through 9. So that, you may, uh, so that you may come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, God is faithful. This is so good. 
God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That that is our calling, that you have been called into fellowship with Jesus. You haven't just been saved so that you can make it into eternity. You have been saved so that you can partake of fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let's actually just take some time and actually look at a couple couple of scriptures that reveal who Jesus is. And that we can take some time to just behold the beauty of who Jesus is through scripture. Revelations 1 through 3. Some of you, when I just said revelations, you went, holy smokers, isn't that all about like the Antichrist? And is she going to now start talking about like beasts and seraphim? Really, if, if you've ever looked at the book of Revelation, it's actually the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ revealed. John's on the Isle of Patmos. He sees Jesus. I mean, really, if we want to know what Jesus is like, we actually need to read the accounts of people that beheld him with their eyes, that saw him, that spoke to him. I mean, and this is the revelation of who Jesus is, and it's the revealing of his nature and his character and what he does. So we actually, we're going to just review um, through Revelations 1 through 3 and just highlight a couple of the places where who Jesus is, is revealed to us. Um, We're not going to read all of these chapters through an entirety. We're going to kind of bounce around to where even Jesus is making declarations about himself. Revelations 1, um, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over all the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Verse 8, this is Jesus declaring, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I mean, before we even get into his other descriptions, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That right there should set your entire life into order. He's the beginning and he's the end. He is the uncreated one. That he has no time, no distance. He is the Alpha that all of your days begin and end in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, in the midst of life circumstances that you can trust, he knows the beginning from the end. And although none of it makes sense, it looks like chaos, it looks confusing, and you have no idea what he's doing, he knows the end of the story. And he's working all things. That's the promise. He is working all things together for your good. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the uncreated one. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 11 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and and what you see, write in the book and send it. And then he goes on to speak to John. In verse 12 it says, Then I turned to see the voice that, that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Clothed with garments down to his feet and girded, girded about his chest with a golden band. His, he, his head and hair were white like wool, 
as white as snow, and his eyes like a flaming fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen and, ha uh, amen. and have the keys of Hades and of death. And then if you actually skip on, there's further description of Jesus if you turn to um, Revelations 3 and verse 7. And, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, and he opens, and, and sorry, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. And then if you go on further, as far as description is in Jesus, uh, of Jesus is verse 14. These things says, uh, says, um, the, oh, faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation God. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. This is speaking of his nature, that because of love that he rebukes and he chastens. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Um, all throughout the book of Revelation, you can actually find understanding and insight into who Jesus is. Um, but then in Colossians, you don't need to turn there. This is actually a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. And this is really speaking of that he, Jesus, is God in the flesh. If you have ever wondered, if you're kind of like, what is God like? What does God look like? What does God act like? What is his character like? Study the life of Jesus. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, um, Colossians 1, 15 through 19, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Verse 18, for he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell. That in Jesus all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell. And then in uh, John fourteen seventeen, he says that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have known me, if you know Jesus, you know the Father. That is his declaration, that to know him and to see him is to know and to see the Father. And then Colossians 2.9, in him dwells all the fullness of, of, of God um, bodily, and that you are complete in him. I mean, even this word that, that he uses in verse 18 is that he may have the preeminence. It literally means the highest honor. That Jesus would have the highest honor. I mean, that the word preeminence even, I mean, the question really strikes our hearts that does Jesus have the preeminence in our lives? Does he have the highest honor in every place in our lives? 
that all of our perspective, that all of our judgment, that even all of our emotion, all of our priorities are aligned under Jesus having the preeminence in every area of our life. That he is worthy of all. You know, I love how simply Paul said it. He said, I come to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was that simple. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the dedication of Paul's life. If we have one dedication in our life, it should be to understand Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then Paul goes on further, actually, and he, he at one point says, let no one deceive you from the simplicity of your faith. Let no one deceive you from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. And the understanding that it's not complex, it's not confusing. I mean, if we begin to get overwhelmed, kind of like, what do I need to do? What do I, how do I get breakthrough? How do I hear God? All of those things. He is saying, let nothing deceive you from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. And really, that place of com- it all coming back to Jesus. I mean, it removes all the chaos. It removes all the confusion. Everything else that Jesus would have the preeminence in every area of our life. See, oftentimes we know what it is like Christianity has actually become more like a social club. We know what groups we're a part of. We know what uh, denominations and even movements we're affiliated. All of those things that there's affiliations that come and it's more about the activities that we do rather than the fellowship that we have with the Son of God. And that that is ultimately our calling, where even we just read it in this passage of scripture. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The place of fellowshipping with Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. And that the more that we begin to study the life of Jesus, the more we even just take the time to open. I challenge you, if your heart is dull in love for Jesus... Take time to meditate upon scripture where Jesus is revealed. I mean, even that, I'm I'm sorry for me, even just starting out with he is the alpha and the omega. It strikes my heart with wonder and with awe. For me, actually, everything in my life that feels completely out of control, (laughs) that I don't know how it's all going to get worked out or where it's all going to land, really, not sure. The security That wherever it lands, it's completely within his control and within his hands. There is no fear. That will dissolve your fear. That will dissolve your worry. That will dissolve your striving. For every place that we're striving after something, a revelation of Jesus Christ brings us into perfect peace. For every place that we kind of have an ambition of what we want to be and what we want to become and we're disappointed with ourselves, when we begin to get a glimpse of Jesus Christ, we realize that this life is but a vapor. Your success and your failure. You know, in another couple of years, no one cares, no one remembers, and you're going to be dead in the ground. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it to you that way. But this life is but a vapor. It puts it all in perspective of eternity and the man Christ Jesus. You know, we have so much invested kind of in this life, but this life is ridiculously frail. And the only thing that is everlasting, the only thing, and this is why the only wise one is Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Because they're not moving with the trend of today and what American society, cultural society, the nations of the earth, you know, we kind of, I'm just going to say, we're limited 
to a generational mindset of 2013, what is reality, what is cool, what looks right, and then we actually put our life in a temporal, insignificant box where he is the eternal one. And ultimately what he, his word says, it puts all of our life into order and perspective. And if this is what we govern our life by, if the study of Jesus Christ as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, if we dedicate our life to one man, not to building an empire, whether it be in business or in ministry, not to building anything in structures, but pursuing the man Christ Jesus. Whatever comes from that will be utter bliss. I guarantee it. But anything that comes outside of that place, you will be striving, you will be in fear, you will be in anxiety. It'll be a challenge no matter what. But from the place of, as Christians, followers of Christ, that he is our obsession. The pursuit of no Paul. Oh, that I might know him. I mean, think about it. How many of us wake up in the morning and our first groaning in our spirit is, oh, that I might know him. The longing to know Jesus. I mean, most of you know, there's certain things that when you wake up in the morning, that is the first thought in your brain. It's, it, it might be to call somebody, you know, the, the boyfriend, the girlfriend. That's, that's what occupies your space. It could be a concern or a worry. For some people, they literally wake up and go, oh my God, I'm alive another day. Darn, darn, I'm still here. You know? <laughs> like I got to do this all over again today. <laughs> it's the dread of living. And very, very few people actually know the joy of living. And that's because even this passage of scripture that, that I read to you, that to know him is eternal life. That it's in knowing Jesus that we find joy. It's what we're created for. Do you know you're created to behold Jesus? To look upon him? To understand? I mean, we just read it in multiple passages of scripture, and I can read them for you again, because I, I enjoy all of them. It wouldn't bore me. It may bore you. <laughs> but the understanding of that we were created to know God, that we were created for fellowship with Jesus, if that's what we are created for, if we are not fulfilling that created purpose, we will forever be unfulfilled. We will forever be wandering. We will forever be a discontent. But if we are fulfilling that created purpose of pursuing fellowship with Jesus Christ, that is where fulfillment and peace and joy come. And the reality of what it is to be a Christian. That place, even as Paul, think about Paul. I mean, come on, Paul. Like, we're, we're talking like Paul, the apostle like literally birthed the New Testament church. And he lived in such a pursuit of knowing more of Jesus that he counted all things as rubbish. I mean, if he lived in that place of pursuit and longing for more of Jesus, how much more should we live in that place of longing for him? This last passage of scripture that I read to you, um, Colossians 2.9, in him dwells all the fullness of, of, the, uh, of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. This is kind of the last thing that I actually want to close out on is this understanding that until you see Jesus, until you understand Jesus and grow in revelation of Jesus, you will never understand yourself. Good. Your, your life won't make sense. Your personality won't make sense. None of it's going to make sense. 
I mean, let's just be honest. We all live in a culture and a time where everybody's kind of doing the introspective, trying to figure me out, uh, trying to unwind my childhood trauma. You know, we're all trying to do, like kind of work out our deal, right? We're trying to be a better self, be the best self I can, best life now. You know, all of that. It's in Jesus Christ. That as you see him and you understand Jesus, you will understand yourself. And we're actually just going to go through a couple of passages of scripture of who we are in Christ. This is so good. Um, I am God's possession. I'm actually, I won't give you all the scripture references. If you want them, I will gladly give you a copy of them, but just for time's sake. I am God's possession, I am God's child, I am God's workmanship, I am God's friend, I am God's temple, I am God's vessel, I am God's co-laborer, I am God's witness, I am his soldier, I am his ambassador, I am his builder, I am his minister, I am his chosen, and I am his beloved. I am God's precious jewel, Malachi 3.17, and I am God's heritage. I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I have been set free from sin. I have been set free from condemnation. I have been set free from Satan's control. I have been set free from Satan's kingdom. I have been chosen before the foundations of the earth. I have been predestined to be like Jesus, Ephesians 1.11. I have been forgiven of all of my trespasses. I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I have been given a sound mind. I have been given the Holy Spirit. I I have been adopted into God's family. I have been justified freely by his grace. I have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. I have been I have been given great and precious promises. I have been given authority over the power of the enemy. I have been given access to God, Ephesians 3:12. I have been given wisdom. I am complete in him. I am forever free from sin's power. I am sanctified. I I am loved eternally. I am eternally kept in the palm of his hand. I am kept from falling. I am kept by the power of God. I am not condemned. I am one with the Lord. I am on my way to heaven. I am light in the midst of darkness. I am a candle in a dark place. I am a city set upon a hill. I am the salt of the earth. I am his sheep. I am a citizen of heaven. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am protected from the evil one. I am kept by the power of God. I am secure in Christ. I am set upon the rock. I am more than a conqueror. I am born again. I am a victor. I am healed by his stripes. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. I am hidden in the secret place of the Almighty. I have access to the Father. I have a home in heaven waiting for me. I have a living hope. I have an anchor in my soul. I have a hope that is sure and steadfast. I have power to witness the tongue of the learned. I have the mind of Christ. I have boldness and access. I have peace with God and and I have faith. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can find mercy and have grace for help. I can boldly come to the throne of grace. I can tread upon the serpent. I can declare liberty to the captives. I can pray always and everywhere. I can chase a ten. I can chase ten thousand. I can defeat the enemy. I can tread upon Satan. I can, can tread Satan underfoot. I mean, it goes on. It goes on and on and on and on and on. But this is the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. And it's because of Jesus that we become all of those things. Because apart from Jesus, we are condemned. 
Apart from Jesus, we are separated from God. Apart from Jesus, we deserve judgment. But it's because of Jesus that this is our inheritance. It's because of him. It's extraordinary what he has provided and made available. But yet we are those that instead of coming to the king's table and eating from the king's table, we live as beggars. And all that has been made available through the word of God, he has revealed who he is in order that we might partake of more of him. I'm actually just going to close out. As many of you guys know, uh, today is St. Patrick's Day. And for those of you that don't know, St. Patrick was actually considered an apostle to Ireland. Um, there's, I mean, obviously there's many things throughout history. Number one, it's all agreed upon as far as this mass salvation of souls that came through his life. It's agreed upon as far as the miracles that came through, through his life. But also it's recorded that there was approximately 33 people that were raised from the dead through St. Patrick's oh, life. But one of the things that's striking about St. Patrick, and I'm actually going to read you, it's called the Prayer of St. Patrick. And part of the reason that I love it is the extraordinary works through St. Patrick's life was because he had a revelation of Christ. That was the revelation of his life, and it was through that place. And um, I just want to read to you that his prayer. It says, I arise today through the strength of heaven, the light of sun, the splendor of fire, the speed of lightning, swiftness of wind, depths of sea, sea stability of earth, and firmness of the rock. I arise today through Christ's strength to pilot me. His strength to uphold me in, in, with might. God's wisdom to guide me. God's eye to look before me. God's eye to, to, I'm sorry, God's ear to hear me. God's word to speak for me. God's hand to guide me. God's way to lie before me. God's shield to protect me. God's host to save me afar and anear, alone or in multitude. Christ shield me today against wounding Christ, I'm sorry, against, against wounding Christ with me. I, uh, Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye of everyone that sees me, Christ in the ear of everyone that hears me. I arise today through the mighty strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's extraordinary. I mean, I, I've always been familiar with St. Patrick's Prayer. But, you know, one of those things of that, if we live every single day of our life with that awareness of Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ above me, Christ beneath me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I rise up, Christ when I lie down. I mean, that place of the all, let's just say that's an obsession with Christ. I mean, let's just think about it this way. In our society, I think in some ways, like, I'll just use our 40-day fast as an example. You know, or even for churches that go to, I mean, for Christians that go to church on Sunday or a particular day a week, we almost have times that we engage with Christ, and then it's almost like we take a break from Him. Like, after, four, let's just be honest, after my 40 days are done, I'm definitely going to eat something, like something that I really like. <laughs> I will do that. <laughs> but you know what happens? Is for 40 days, people go hard after Jesus. You know, they're not watching TV, they're not on Facebook, they're not talking to this one, they're not doing this. They kind of have this life that they're going, I'm going after Jesus. I'm even going to fast. And so we posture ourselves, our heart is tenderized. We begin to feel him in a different way. We're more aware of him. All of a sudden we're like, oh my goodness, the word is coming alive to me. It's miraculous. It's amazing what a little fasting will do. <laughs> you know, we posture ourselves like this. 
And there's a, even a sense of breakthrough. We're fellowshipping with Christ. We're doing what the Word says. And then it's almost like after that season, we're kind of like, whoo, 40 days is over. Or even for some people, Sunday's over. And it's kick back in your recliner, flick on whatever your favorite flick is, not sure what it is, and kind of go back to business as usual. Whereas the question is, and when we've looked at even scripture today, that we were created for fellowship with Jesus Christ. That it's not our duty, it's not our responsibility, it's actually our privilege. And that when we begin to see it as a privilege, that it's not something that it's a religious obligation, I'm a Christian, so therefore I'm supposed to, or I do. It's that place that it is a privilege that, as we read, he's the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. He knows the hairs on every single head of the people in this universe, but yet he knows your name. And when you shut the door and say, I want to spend time with you, all of his gaze is upon you. That is extraordinary and mysterious. That he is that invested in you, the God of the universe. That he takes time for us, but yet we actually don't even take time for him. I mean, it's that place of actually the posture of our life reveals his worth. His worth to us is revealed by the posture of our life. The time that we spend with him, what we place before him. And as Paul said, I count all things as rubbish. For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I I want to encourage every person in this place today, no matter what you're struggling with, if you will lose your life in pursuit of the man Christ Jesus, that every side issue will fall aside. Every side issue will diminish. I'm not saying it'll be tomorrow or next week, but you'll actually watch it be overcome with the reality of who he is. That it will invade and permeate every area of our life. It'll change our perspective. It'll change, our, it'll change your emotions. Mm. If you find yourself prone to insecurity, get lost in Jesus, and you'll find great boldness. Mm. If you find yourself lo- one that's prone to worry, get lost in Jesus, and you'll find, I'm not saying that there won't be the moments where worry tries to grip your heart, but immediately when you know how to go back to that place of, I am looking upon the man Christ Jesus, worry is diminished. David actually said it this way. He said, one thing I desire of the Lord, and that one thing will I seek, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. That all of our life would come into focus of that one thing that we desire is to behold the Lord. And seeing that place, all of our life comes into order and alignment, and we are who we're created to be in that place of beholding him. Let's stand to our feet. God, we ask you today, Father, that we would be those that fall more in love with Jesus.